0: Welcome to Foothills Church. Sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Welcome to Foothills Christian Church. I'm Douglas Peak, and I want to invite you, especially if you just moved here, you're visiting, or you're new to become a part of our Community of faith. If you're watching online or maybe you're doing church at home, we invite you to connect with us. And one of the easiest ways to find out more things about us is to text uh, FH New to 72,000. Uh, you don't have to sign up for anything, you can just anonymously check us out. So it's going to pop up there in just a second. I know it is. Text FH New to 72,000 though. No. so uh, one of the things too that we're rolling out in regards to this, that I think is really kind of neat is if you want to know about the events or groups or community stuff that's happening within our community of faith, you can text FH events to the same number, and you can look at all the stuff that's coming up. so if you want to connect, find a small group, uh, if you want to hear about the tailgate, we do a tailgate. This is just you can go out a bunch of small groups in our church. Uh, set up like tailgates on on a football day, and you can kind of go around. There's tons of food. It's all free. Walk around. Your kids can play. It's a great time. Uh, But it's really great to meet people because everything that we're trying to do at Foothills is create opportunities for you to meet good people that are going in the same direction as you, not perfect people, but people to help you in your journey of faith. Now, it's really important because I think We, as Americans, have learned something. I think everybody in the world has learned something, but particularly Americans, in the last two years. And that is, in our general society, most of the things that we believed, we thought would sustain us, turned out they don't work when COVID hit. I mean, when COVID hit and we had all these challenges, people were experiencing a sense of what the Bible calls lostness. And what lostness is is basically this feeling, this sense that you're unmoored. You know, you're just drifting out there. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't, you, and so you can easily retreat back into yourself if you're not careful. And so we thought that one of the reasons why our society feels so lost is because they have lost the essentials. They've forgotten the fundamentals on which, first and foremost, our nation was built. But also, in Christianity, a lot of people who had a nominal relationship with God found out that that nominal relationship with God could not sustain them when the stuff hit the fan, when the fire really heated up. And so, we're doing a series right now to help people understand to know what they believe, so that in any situation, whether it be good or bad, you know that these are the most important things about what it means to walk with God. And so, we call them the essentials of the faith. If you take one away, the whole thing collapses. It's very similar to what Paul talked about when he wrote the Corinthians, when he said, Look, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything you believe is in vain. Your faith is in vain, meaning it doesn't have any value. And so, these are essentials, and there's not a lot of them. There's really basically just five. And so, we're using this children's song, a very famous children's song, to help us remember. And the song basically goes like this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And we kind of went through it. The first one was Jesus, right? First word in the song, Jesus. Well, who is He? And we found out that, well, He is God. And that's an essential. Number two is love. Jesus loves. Well, who does, G, you know, what does Jesus do? He loves. God is love. He defines love. He describes love. Everything he does is motivated by love. Last week, Zach uh, talked about uh, the me in the song. And that question is, what is it about me that needs God's love? And I thought he did a great job. I'm a little biased. But I thought he did a great job in pointing out how we've been created in the image of God, all right? And so God loves us because we're created in his image, but we've been tainted by sin. And if we don't take care of that, then we'll never be in a relationship with God. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this I know. So Jesus loves me, this I know. And the question then becomes, what is it we're supposed to know? Now, before I tell you that, Uh, we dig into the scriptures, is I have to tell you a story about when I was at college when my undergrad. So, it was a little bit ago, five or six years at least. Um, And what happened is I was in Manhattan, Kansas, all right? Now, Manhattan, Kansas is known as the Little Apple, right? And it is little. And I was there and I went to Manhattan Christian College and Kansas State University, and so, while I was there, uh, we had, uh, there was a fraternity there on campus. It was called the Beta Tau Rho fraternity. And that fraternity stood for Bachelor Till the Rapture. <laughs> That's right. Now, a lot of guys were in that, and a lot of guys were in that. And part of the reason why the Beta Tau Rho fraternity existed is because the pressure to, to find someone and be married at a Bible college is unbelievable. A lot of people uh, say that you go to Bible college to get an MRS degree, and uh, so the pressure there. So when you're a freshman and a sophomore, you date a few people. But by the time you're a junior, you better you better be serious, so that when you're a senior, you can be engaged. Because the amount of people that get married the summer after graduation is immense. You know, so. So the Beta Tau Ro fraternity existed. as kind of contrarian to that, you know, to fight that pressure. And so there was a guy in there who was just like, oh, he was a charter member of the Beta Ro fraternity. Let me tell you, he's never getting married. Oh, well, I've dated girls, and I found out some things about girls when I date them. This is what he would say. He would say, do you know how expensive it is to date girls? I, I mean, how does anybody afford that? Getting married? I mean, getting married is expensive. I can't afford that. And having to subordinate every decision you make to somebody else's input, who wants to do that? And he goes, by the way, I, you know, I have tried. I cannot understand women for the life of me. I just can't do it. So he's like, never going to get married, never going to happen. So, a couple of years later, after I graduated, I was down in Wichita and I ran into this guy, you know, and guess what? He was married. So, like any good friend, I just harassed the living snot out of him over that, you know. Oh, didn't you say? Blah 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 blah. Didn't you say you'd never understand? Didn't you say you couldn't afford it? Did you say you didn't want to lose your freedom? He goes, yeah 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 yeah, and I go. So I was Josh, and I said, so what changed? And he looked up and he goes, I met her. <laughs> <laughs> you see, he went from marriage a thing, right? an institution to something personal. I met her, and it wasn't until I met her that all my feelings that were kind of knowing about marriage faded because now I met her. This is an important story because I want you to hear these verses that we're going to read through that lens. And the lens I want you to hear these verses through are simply this, and that is, are we supposed to just know about Jesus, or are we supposed to know Jesus personally? Listen to this. John chapter 10, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father... I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Listen to Ephesians. The Apostle Paul expands on this. In uh, chapter 1, verse 17, I want you to listen to these words. Paul says about the Ephesians, he goes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit Spirit of wisdom and revelation. So Paul is praying that the Ephesians and us would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does revelation mean? It means something revealed to us, to you and to me, that we didn't know before. So he says, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, why do we, he want us to have this spirit? Why does he want us to know this? He goes, so that you may know Him better. See, so all the Holy Spirit's work of wisdom and revelation within us is designed for a purpose, and that purpose is that we know God better. Listen to what else he says. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. So we're just not only to know Him personally, we're to know the point of why He wants to know us personally, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and His incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. So, the power of the resurrection is designed to do something inside you, and that is draw you to a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him personally. Listen to verse 16 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. He says, I pray that His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So, notice what He's saying. He's saying, So through His glorious riches... He's going to strengthen you. So he's going to do something through your inner being. So out of his glorious riches, inside of you, he wants to do something. And what he wants to do inside of you is to make you stronger. And he does this through his divine presence in your life called the Holy Spirit. And verse 17 says why he's doing that. So that Christ, Jesus himself, may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the purpose. So that Jesus, through His divine presence, the Holy Spirit, lives, dwells within your heart through faith. And I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. Oh, so that's where the strength of love comes from, is when Jesus is dwelling within me. Now, what's interesting is, let's flip over to 1 John chapter 2, and let's see what the Apostle John wrote in regards to this specific issue in the Bible. Verse 3 of chapter 2, 1 John. Now, we know, so notice how he's saying this word know again, we know that we have come to know Him. So now we know that we are in a personal relationship with Him, that we've come to know Him if we keep His commands. Whoever says, I come to know Him, But does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. Now, isn't that interesting? Do you know what the reason why we obey the word of God, the reason why we want to know what it says and then we want to walk in it, is for a specific purpose? You know what that purpose is? To be made complete in a love for God. So isn't that interesting, is that he's saying that everything that God is doing in your life is designed for a purpose so that you can walk fully and more deeply in a relationship with God. You see how it kind of reinforces itself. He goes, this is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. So now what we see is we see all of these passages. And by the way, there's... uh, there's many, many, many more that talk about this, and that brings us to what our essential is. And it says, Jesus loves me, this I know. What are we to know? We are to know that Jesus loves us. We, and, and the only way you can know that is if you are in a personal relationship with God Himself. So, the essential is every person is invited to know Jesus personally. And you might Pastor, this seems to be pretty rudimentary here, what you're talking about. Is it though? Because I would challenge us to think that many people in America who think there's Christians have lost this essential. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. You know, every other religion out there Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, that covers pretty much 95% of all religious belief outside of Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, wants you to believe something about God and wants you to believe something about yourself, but none of those Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, paganism, no, nothing else, even scientific materialism, atheism, none of those ask you to have a personal relationship with God. They want you to know things about God. They want you to know things about you and how you're supposed to live, but you're never in a personal relationship with God. As a matter of fact, in Islam, the Quran teaches that to be in, the, uh, in a personal relationship with Allah is terrifying, and you never want to do that. Okay? Okay. So it's really fascinating that Christianity is unique in all other religions, and that is that Jesus Christ came so that you could be in a personal relationship with Him. And the reason why this is so important to understand is an essential is because we can know a lot about Jesus and not actually know Him. You see, there's a huge difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing them. One of the things I like to do is um, kind of show you this graphic, and I call this the levels of intimacy graphic, and it's kind of like a stairwell, and it talks about all the different steps that it takes for us to actually bond with somebody on a deep level. And here's how it kind of starts, okay? The first thing is, is it starts with, you know about a person. Now, my buddy who was part of the Beta Tau Rho fraternity because he didn't even know that she existed yet, right? He didn't know that. So, so what happens is the first thing is, is he meets her. <laughs> so, she gets on his radar, so he knows about her. And you know what's more interesting about this is that, now, This is something that will continue to happen throughout your entire relationship with another person, whether they be your friend, whether they be uh, somebody in your family, maybe your spouse. You know, if you're dating somebody, guess what? You never stop learning things about the person that you're getting closer to. Two, it is a perpetual thing, right? I, I've been married for coming up on 33 years. I've known my wife for almost 35 years. And I have to tell you, I was uh, back uh, on a trip to New England this last week, and I was learning new things about my wife, right? Now, me, I'm sure she had figured out about 28 years ago, but me, I'm learning new things, and it's awesome, Right? But what's fascinating is, so it starts here, though, you just know a little, I know, you're on my radar, I know you a little bit, I know some things about you, you know, man, maybe I like you, I don't know, maybe you could be a friend, if you're thinking you want to date or something, and then, so what you do is then you start to learn facts, right? And you start learning facts, and facts are things like this, you know, like, well, you know, what kind of family do you come from? What's your favorite color? What's your favorite season? Do you like football or baseball? You know, do you like outdoors? Are you introverted? Are you extroverted? So you start learning facts. Well, guess what? This process never ends either. You're always going to learn new facts. Why? Because the person you're married to changes. And so there's always going to be new facts, by the way. So then you go to the next thing is, is, is that go, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm a little close to this person. I'm developing a friendship or maybe a romantic relationship. It doesn't remat- matter what type of relationship it is. It all reflects the same steps. And that is you start to know feelings about things. And that is, well, how do you feel about this situation? Well, how do you feel about politics? How do you feel about work ethic? How do you feel about the government's role? How do you feel about this? And how do you feel about that? And this is where people start saying, well, I feel... This way, so people really start talking about their feelings and stuff, and and so they start sharing. You know, they open up. You know, they don't really want to talk about how they really feel about stuff until they get to trust you, and then they'll tell you what they really think and they really feel. But really, you're just at an emotional level here, right? Then something always happens in a relationship, okay? It's like, you know, um, I know that some ladies are uh, envious of boys because boys will have a conflict. They know about each other. They know facts about each other. They don't like each other. And they, they say, well, I don't like him. He doesn't like me. And then they get in a tussle on the playground. And then after that, they're what? Best buddies forever. Right? How did you become best friends with your brother? Well, in the fourth grade, we got in a fight over the Ferris wheel or whatever. You know, okay. And now we're best buddies forever. Um, you know, they're like that. And so... um uh, I, I knew this gal uh, a while back. She, uh, I would call her kind of like an alpha female, you know? She was really attractive, very well put together, very successful and stuff like that, but she had trouble dating guys and stuff like that. And I was like, well, why do you think that is? And she goes, well, I always, in the relationship, I always put ourselves, when I start dating a guy, I'll put ourselves in a situation that creates a lot of stress uh, so I can see him get mad. And I go, well... Why do you do that? At first I thought, well, she's kind of nutty. And then this is what she told me. You know what she told me? She goes, oh, you know, guys can be fine and sweet and nice and everything when things are going well, but I want to know what they're like when they get mad because that's when their two colors come out. And I was like, you know, you are pretty smart (laughs) because you put people under pressure and what do they do? They crack. And when you get cracked, what comes out? Whatever's in there, you know? That happens. And so I was like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with your strategy, but maybe what you ought to do is put a little bit further down the road. You know, <laughs> third date is a little early for that, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but the point is, is this, is that this is a really critical point in all relationships. It's a really critical point in your marriage if you're married. And that is this, is that You come to a point where I know my feelings about this, I have feelings about this, you're trying to align feelings like this, but then there's a crisis in the relationship. And you know what happens when you have a crisis in a relationship? And by the way, this is the pattern for every Hallmark movie that's ever been made under the sun, right? There's some conflict, right? And then what does it do? Is it go, you're moving from what I feel about things to now I understand based on their reactions to what they really believe. See, feelings are what I think I believe about myself. But then you get to know somebody and you go, yeah, I, I, I know what this person really believes. I know what they really believe. And then that leads you to the highest level of intimacy, and that is, I love you and because I, I know all of your insecurities. I love you and I know all of your blind spots. I love you anyway. Yeah? Oh doesn't it drive you nuts when your wife does blah 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 blah? Well, used to. You know, but I know why she does that. I'm not talking about mine personally, by the way. Because <laughs> my wife is perfect. <laughs> but do you see what I'm saying is that but it's that point where you have a level of intimacy and this is what every human being, every guy, every gal longs for it, is that point because it's only at this point when you realize... You know, this for if you're a guy, it's only when you get to this point where you know that this woman loves you no matter what. She's your biggest fan, she is on your side, and no matter what mistake you make, she is gonna be there and walk with you through it. Because it's it's not that she trusts you, okay, listen to this very carefully, but she believes in you. She believes in you. See, and to a man, that's called respect. That no matter how many times I fail, this woman believes in me. When a man finally comes to a point in his life where he understands that about himself and the woman that loves him, he is unstoppable as a man. See, most men stop because their insecurities rule them. It's the same way for a woman. You know, women are, are more in touch with their feelings than guys are initially, right? But when you listen to women talk about it, is like women say that the place, I know that I'm loved when he loves me regardless of my flaws. When I'm at my worst, you know, I could be so mad at him. I can be so selfish and I could be all that stuff. And he just smiles and gets this twinkle in his eye and says, well, I love you anyway, baby. You know, I told a, a story two weeks ago about, you know, a woman says that she felt loved when her husband would hold her hair when she had the flu and she's throwing up in the toilet. Because if he'd do that for me, he'll do anything for me. If he sees me at my worst and he's there, then I know. So now why am I talking about this? Why am I talking about this? You notice how intimacy, the real deep things, they don't come with unicorns and cotton candy life. If if you're looking for a person that you'll never have a conflict with, that always knows exactly what you think and never has to say sorry, you live in a Hallmark movie. You do not live in the real world. I've shared this before. The difference between healthy couples and toxic couples is not the amount of conflict they have. They all have the same amount of conflict. You know the biggest difference is? Healthy couples resolve their conflict in a way that pulls them together, not apart. Unhealthy and toxic couples, what? They have conflict and they can't resolve their conflict because they do it in a way that pulls them apart. They act more as individuals than a team. See, and this, this is so important because if we are called to know Jesus personally, then what is His agenda for your life? If He, Paul says, I want the wisdom of revelation in your life so that you can know him better? Do you think Jesus' main goal is to just pave the way for your life for cotton candy and unicorns for the rest of your days? Or is he saying, my goal for you is to walk deeper, more intimately, closer, and more trusting with me? So, what we are is we are to know that Jesus loves us, and the only way we'll ever know that is if it's personal. And what's so sad is there's so many people who don't realize this, and they've turned Christianity into a religion instead of a relationship. And when we lose that, we lose the passion and the fire of the church. So, how do we know that we know? Is it a feeling Is it now? This is really interesting is that like, how do I know that I've come to know God personally? Is it a big emotional experience? Well, guess what? Your emotions will be impacted. But if you rely on your emotions, then guess what? You'll miss the relationship. How do I know that? Well, have you ever seen the movie Clueless? You ever saw that movie, that gal? She's walking around and she's trying to, she thinks she's a matchmaker and she's matchmaking for everybody else. And why can't she fall in love? And it because she's clueless, right? Because what's happened through the whole movie, she her best friend that she always talks to is a guy, you know, that works for her dad, and she's she talks to him, and they have this fun relationship and blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end, she realizes that all of her feelings were deceiving her because the love of her life is sitting where? Right across the table. Right? Have you ever seen Princess Bride? Right? (laughs) Right? Okay, so what's happening in Princess Bride, if you haven't seen that movie, is the gal, you know, she's the princess, and she thinks she, she knows she's the princess, and she walks around, there's this boy, this farm boy, and she dismisses him because her feelings and emotions say he's not worthy, and so she gives him commands. Go get that bucket, and he goes, as you wish. And she says, go clean out the, the stables, as you wish. Go do this, as you wish. Go do that, go do this. So all of her feelings have been telling her that this guy right in front of her is not worth her time, he's not worth it, and then one day, all of a sudden, she She asks him to do something, and he says, as you wish, and all of a sudden, her head goes kapoosh. Because she realizes he's not saying as you wish. What's he really saying? I love you. Have you ever seen Jerry Maguire? (laughs) Come on! Right? Jerry Maguire writes a memo, gets kicked out, blah, 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 blah. He decides, oh, I'm going to have, you know, Renee Zellweger, the, the gal, and oh, it'd be good for the business if we got married. And, oh, I like your son. He's super cool. Blah, 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 blah. She's like, I really love this guy, but Jerry's just like making business decisions, and you know, he doesn't know. It's just, uh, save money on rent. We can live together. Let's get married. Blah, 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 blah. And then what happens is at the end of the movie, he gets to that point where he suddenly realizes that everything he's worked for, everything he's dreamed of finally happens. He has a client, Kuba Gooding Jr., who's a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals, has a phenomenal game, renegotiates his contract, and makes Jerry Maguire rich, basically, because he gets, you know, 4% of that contract. And so he then goes home, right? He races back to LA. He walks in the door, and there's his wife that he's kind of estranged from. And he has this big, long, you know, a speech that he's prepared, and he gets two-thirds of the way to the speech, and what does she say? Shut up, you had me at hello. (laughs) But what does he say? You see, it wasn't until his emotions told him, she's not the love of my life. But then something happened that did what? Shattered her emotions, or his emotions, to where he could see what was really true love and that's what He wanted. So, so, is it emotions that draws us to God? Well, emotions are a part of it, and we get emotional when God does stuff. But if we rely on that, our emotions can deceive us. So, how do we know? Well, guess what? John tells us right here in John chapter 2, verse 3, he goes, we know that we've come to know. We know that we have come to know. We know that we have come to know if we keep his commands. So, uh, this is way my brain went. so my next question is what are his commands? Is Jesus command, okay, if you're going to follow me, I command you to listen to this kind of music if you want to follow me. Well, no. Were his commands that I had to have certain dietary habits? No. Was it that I had to dress a certain way? No. So that's not his commands. Jesus didn't come to start another religion. What are his commands? John 17, I give you a new command that you should what? Love one another. All men will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. This command that I give to you, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Well, what is he commanded? That we love one another. He says, you know what the greatest commandment is, is that we do what? Love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. And the second one is just as great. He says this in Matthew, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm starting to see a pattern here. I'm not the brightest person, but I see a pattern here, and that is How are we to know that we've come to know Him? If we follow His commands, and His commands are that we love one another. And that means a change of heart. It means a change from law to love. We know that we've come to know Him personally when we see our lives completely reoriented, a new transformation. We care about different things. It's not about how we dress, how we eat, or the music we listen to. It's not about how many times you pray a day. That'd be like telling a married couple that, hey, every one of you married couples, if you want to know that you're in love with each other, well, you have to eat this stuff, listen to this song every day, and you have to pray this many times on your knees, and I know that you're in love with each other. Would that work? No, because we're all so different. So it's not about ceremony or religion. It's about something else. It's about a change of heart. And sadly enough, this essential is being lost. About, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago, when my kids were little, little uh, we've always done small groups of Foothills, and I was in a small group with about 10 or 12 other couples. So it was a big, small group, and we had a boatload of kids. And uh, we've been doing this group for probably about nine months. And what happened is, in about 1.30 in the morning, my phone is ringing, and so I answer the phone, and there's a woman from our small group who's crying on the phone. And so I just listened to her kind of, she's trying to talk and she's sobbing. I mean, she's obviously extremely upset. I don't know if there's been an accident with one of her kids, Uh, her and her husband had three kids. Uh, All of our kids were in elementary school or younger at that time. And eventually she gets out that her husband went with his buddies down to Vegas and he slept with a prostitute while he was down there. And he just confessed to her that he had done this. And so so I went, and I met with him, and I went, and I met with her, and and so uh, kind of in a crisis mode, and he says, we need to get together and talk about this. He goes, let's go to lunch and have big lunch. So we went uh, downtown uh, to the Cottonwood Grill, and we're sitting there over lunch, and he's telling me his story. Grew up, you know, LDS, and that didn't work. Went to college, met her, they got married, so forth. And <clears throat> so he talked about, I asked about, well, you know, what does being a Christian mean to you? He goes, well, I really love going to church. I love taking my family to church, you know. He goes, I like your preaching. I like this. I like that. And he's talking about that. He's, uh, and so I was just trying to ask him to tell a story. And from my perspective, what I was trying to find out was the answer to a very simple question. And so after about 45 minutes of him talking, I just said, he says, well, what do you think? How can, I, how can I fix this? And I said, well, I think you know a lot about Christianity, but I don't think you know Jesus. And I will never forget his reaction. He leaned across the table and he says, Doug, quit playing word games with me. Tell me the five things I need to do right now to make this go away. And I leaned back and I said, that's why it'll never go away. You see, so many people want to know about Jesus. And they want to treat Jesus as a a, a guilt ATM tell me how much money I got to pay, tell me what words I got to say, tell me some prayer I got to pray so that my guilt will go away and I can fix all this. Tell, Tell me what uniform or tattoo or what thing, I how to wave my hands so that my guilt will go away. And at its core, that is not Christianity. Christianity is when you have a confrontation with the living God, when the God of all creation, Jesus Christ himself, shows up, I'll tell you what, your life will never be the same because it's in that moment when your soul is redeemed. Your soul is made alive and suddenly you're like, whoa, I was Beta Road baby, then I met her. <laughs> your life is never, ever the same. And this is why the early followers of Christ did what they did. They stood before the authorities and they said, oh, just simply deny Jesus as Lord. And they said, not going to do that. And they died because of it. Man, when you know what you're willing to die for, that's when you really start living. That's when life makes sense. That's when you know what real love is. That's when you know what real courage is. That's what you know what real passion and real confidence is. And I'll tell you what, that is the thing that I wanted to pass on to my children more than anything else not money, not fame, not security. I want them to know what it really means to be a human being that knows and walks with God. Because that is a thing that will forever guide, lead, support, encourage them through the rest of their life. To me, that is a life well lived, a passionate life. So let's not lose this essential. Let's not lose it at all. Let us follow it. Just remember the early people, they practiced repentance, repentance by turning away from the world and turning to God. They, they practice baptism. They love to practice baptism because that was their point where they said, I have a living, inexplicable confrontation with the living God, and now I am His. If you want to know more about baptism or repentance, just text FH Baptism to 72000 and you can get your questions answered there. Please, let us not lose. Let us not lose this essential. Let us do everything we can as a church and as people of God to encourage others to meet Jesus personally. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.